Get the best odds on all the big games this March. Download the Circa Sports Iowa app today. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Monday afternoon. Another victory Monday on football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Slight delay in recording the podcast uh, because Jeff, what he needed to finish his donut. So welcome yeah. to the welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah, I went uh, went to the went to an apple orchard this weekend. Got a uh, got a jug of apple cider and some apple cider donuts. And you know what? I normally don't eat donuts, but when you go to an orchard and there's a chance to get cider donuts, you get those donuts. You live life. You choose. I've, I've never been to an apple orchard before. Neither had Aaron. It's surprising. It's like you've lived in Iowa for nearly 30 years and yet have not been to an apple orchard at any point or during any fall. See, I feel like that's a uh, thing that men do when they're in relationships. Like you don't do that. Like I'm not going to go to the apple orchard with my boys, you know? (laughs) Hey, hey, bro, let's go to the apple orchard though. (laughs) Like the, or the pumpkin patch. Like I'm not going to do any of those things, you know, cute ass pumpkins, bro. Like the little uh, ones, maybe get some green ones that are bigger. Uh, Ambiance. But I mean, you know me, man. I'm a lone wolf, so I don't yeah. get I don't get wrapped up into those relationship things. So uh, I've I've just never had to experience the apple orchard. Well, anyway, I think what's funny about this is we're leading the show off with a fairly deep, long discussion of going to an apple orchard because the game on Saturday was. For the first time that I can remember in, in a non-Kansas game since the last time Iowa State beat the hell out of Texas Tech back when Patrick Mahomes was there, the game was unexciting Yeah, in the benefit of Iowa State. And that is a thing that we are just not used to. It wasn't that the game was like flashy or, you know, the, the startling or surprising or, and I don't want to say exciting in a bad way, but like it wasn't exciting it was just a workmanlike, thorough ass kicking from start to finish, save for two plays. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And so we, it's not like you come on, you're like, man, did you see that game this weekend? I was like, huh, well, that was kind of fun. Yeah. And I just think that, uh, well, also the big difference between this and that game against, uh, against Mahomes is that was so thoroughly shocking that they did that, that mm-hmm. it was still exciting. You know, yeah. like it, it was not, I mean, that game on Saturday was boring for most of it. Because they just, right. It's like, I spent a lot of the first half after Iowa State got the lead watching the end of the Texas and Oklahoma game and just sitting there hoping and praying that it would go to a fifth overtime and we would get the first ever two point sh- uh, shootout in the history of college football where they just go back and forth trying to convert two point conversions. And uh, unfortunately, we, we came up one overtime short, but alas. Uh, and it just – Iowa State from their first drive, you know, and obviously there's the illegal procedure penalty in the end zone or, or in, the, in the red zone that prevents uh, Iowa State from scoring a touchdown on that first drive, and then you have the blocked field goal. But they marched down the field in six and a half minutes in just like the most ass-kicking way and then got the ball again and took four more minutes to just march down the field in the most ass-kicking way. And it was just like – from the minute the game started, it was not – you could tell that it was teams that were on two completely different ends of the spectrum. And the cool part is um, a lot of times in I, – I, I think that this – not to say that, that you can officially remove the Iowa State – I'm going to knock on wood here, but I think the, the, the expectation in any other season prior to this when – you go down and have this thorough, again, a thorough ass-kicking drive all the way down. And it's not, 
you know, it's not, it's not, I don't want to call it fluky. You know, when you have Hakeem Butler, who's really good, but you throw Hakeem Butler a 45 yard touchdown pass and he makes like four guys fall over. That is one guy doing something great. And you're like, well, we hope we can stop this one guy. And if you can't, then you don't, or David Montgomery makes 15 people miss. That was just 11 guys on offense for Iowa state beating the hell out of Texas tech all the way down the field. Then they make a mistake and they get the field goal blocked. It goes all the way back for a touchdown. And Iowa state nut cup says, that was a fluke. Texas tech is going to come out here. And all of a sudden it's going to be what looked like it was going to be promising. You're going to, we're going to end up, you know, this is going to be a shootout or maybe Texas tech is going to run away with this game. And what do they do the next drive? They go kick Texas tech's ass all the way down the field again, put it in the end zone, get another or kick the ball off, get another three and out and then work the ball all the way down the field and kick their ass and put it in the end zone. And I think by the end of the first quarter, I have the stats pulled up. Uh, first quarter only summary. Uh, time of possession. Iowa State, 13 minutes and seven seconds. Texas Tech, 153 and 14 total yards in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. So dis- uh, except for two Iowa State mistakes in the first quarter, the game should have been 21 to zero and not remotely close. And then even by the end of the second quarter, like towards the end of the second quarter, it's 21 to seven. Iowa State's only up by two scores. And I think for me, the way that I feel like my comfort level, you know, if you just judge football chaos, two scores is not comfortable because team, the the trailing team scores a touchdown, gets a pick six the next drive and it's all even like just two plays can happen and change the whole thing. Three scores starts to become comfortable because you need some other stuff to go haywire and four scores. You can kind of relax a little bit because it's like, there has to be multiple crazy things that happen in order for you to get back from four scores. And you have the chance to even redeem yourself once you've gotten there. So Iowa State was only up two scores uh, right around halftime. They had the ball going in. They didn't get it in. They or didn't get it. It didn't get any points. They had to punt it. Um, and then you're still kind of thinking, again, Iowa State not cup-ish, like, mm, I don't know. This Texas Tech is going to come out here and, and come back and do something in the third quarter. Third quarter alone. Iowa State time of possession, 10 minutes and 18 seconds. Or Texas Tech, 4 minutes and 42 seconds. Texas Tech in the third quarter, 26 total yards. So not only did they overcome the nut cup situation after the block field goal, Coming into the half, they had an opportunity. It was only two scores to, you know, maybe not be able to generate something. And they continued to kick Texas Tech's ass. There was no need to, for the nut cup to exist because they were so consistently good all the way up and down the field on both sides of the ball. It was boring. It, and you were expecting something to drop. You're expecting the other shoe to fall. You're expecting, you know, this another pick six or Texas Tech to start doing some crazy stuff. And it never happened. And that was the thing, I think, by the middle of the fourth quarter, everybody was like, did, did we really just get through this without anything really crazy happening? Oh, that's cool. That's how this could work. Nice. I like this. Yeah. So at the end of the, this had to have been at the end of the third quarter. Uh, I have it here that Iowa State had 508 yards of total offense. Texas Tech had 95. That would have been about two uh, the first drive through the fourth quarter so that would have been about 12 minutes left to go in the game it was 508 to 95 yeah i mean and it just was i would say it's defense like you gotta give them credit i mean texas tech couldn't do anything i will say uh i'm gonna pat myself on the back when when we were on this podcast, I don't know if it was on this podcast or when we were on on yeah. And I said that uh, Alan playing Alan Bowman, I was less scared of him than I was of uh, Henry Columbia. Henry Columbia comes in at the end of the game when it game was basically decided and out of hand. Uh, drove the Red Raiders right down the field, scored a touchdown, and Alan Bowman led them to ninety five yards of total offense in three and three quarters plus. Yeah, that that one. You're you're. I would get, I'll give you. You were you were right on that one with one like tiny little exception is by that point, Iowa state stopped running any type of aggressive or confusing defense. They weren't really trying to be that aggressive or confusing to begin with though. Either they were still being, they were playing tighter. They're essentially trying to play up. And cause what Texas tech would do is they challenged, they were challenging Texas tech really close to the line of scrimmage and then counting on pressure to happen that they couldn't get down the field. So it ha- it worked the whole time. And really, you know, when you look at Bowman, he didn't play great. I mean, clearly, you can't have 95 yards total offense and say that you played awesome. But I don't know if he 
himself necessarily played a bad game. You know, he wasn't at he wasn't an A plus game, but I wouldn't say he was at a a disadvantage. I think through three quarters, yeah, they had thirty seven rushing yards through three quarters. That's not on the quarterback. That's in the fact they couldn't run the ball. And if Texas Tech can't run the ball, that offense is sort of like Iowa State's, where imagine if Iowa State had 30 rushing yards in a game. I mean, Brock is a good quarterback, but he's not. that's, that's not a situation that this offensive scheme is set up to do anything with. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Texas Tech couldn't do anything at all, and then when they brought in Columbia, it was, you know, they were essentially like, hey, let's make you earn your way down the field. And even if you score a touchdown, you're going to have to spend four and a half minutes a clock to get that touchdown. And you're going to have to do that four times in order to actually win the game. So it, yeah, you were right. But at the same time, like, I don't know if he would have done much better throughout the entire game. It may have been a little better, but not a ton. Take the caveat out out and just leave the beginning part of that statement. You know, I will never do that. I will (laughs) never do that. Not with you. No, you're not going to get a full, a fully throated. You were right. Uh, yeah, man, it was just, um, I do think that there are some, like, I think you can give a game ball to Tom Manning. The scheme at the beginning of the, of the football game for Iowa state was fantastic. What they were able to do to, uh, soften some different things up and, and just like once Texas tech would kind of figure out one thing, Iowa state would just go to the right to the next. And it's like, it was just one thing to set this up. All right, we got that set up. All right, now we're here. Okay, now we got that set up, and then now we're here. And it was just one thing after another. So, like I said, I, got, I think you got to give uh, you got to commend Tom Manny and Iowa State's offensive staff for what they were able to do, especially at the beginning of the football game. Uh, there are some things that still need to be cleaned up on Iowa State's end. Uh, one of those being the fact that now two weeks in a row they've had a a legal procedure uh, penalty that I think erased a touchdown in the red zone, and the, I mean, this is something that Chris and I were talking about uh, Saturday night when I know both of us were re-watching the game uh, late Saturday night. And uh, obviously it runs out of so many different formations. And when they bring so many different guys in, it's like you're almost bound sometimes to have someone make a really stupid mistake. And on that one, Joe Skates was on the line of scrimmage when he shouldn't have been and covered up the – uh, covered up the tight end, which Chase ended up catching the touchdown. And that's like a really easy thing to fix, but it's also something that you can't let continue to be a trend as you move forward in the season, if that makes sense. Well, and I think what they did, and uh, so, yeah, credit Tom Manning. And generally, other than that, generally the Iowa State offense for getting – getting their offense moved and set up in a way that not only were they dominant and from an execution standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, tech would miss a line a lot. And that's what these, so when you have three tight ends like Iowa state does that all can, I mean, Charlie is the worst blocker of the bunch, but he's still a good blocker. And then you have chase and Saner who are your two kind of more physical guys. And it's funny. We're uh, Aaron, so yeah, my fiance would just joke is like kind of, you know, you pick out a player and you're just watching that one guy the whole time after chase Allen caught one of the passes. She was like, why that guy's like athletic for being that big. And then she just kept watching him. So like, Oh, number 11. And then I was like, watch how many yards after catch he gets. <laughs> I think he had like four, it was catch yeah. tackle every single reception, but still he was like 45 yards in the day. But anyway, um, but you have those three tight ends that you, ha- you are, defenses will set their strength off of formations, usually based on the tight end. And when you have three on the field or three that can flex around, you can screw with what the defense wants to do as far as setting a strength. So like, let's, one of the reasons why they do these shifts is they try and move the box around because they know that you're going to miss a line after rearranging. So like, let's say they start out with two tight ends on the left side and Saner as the fullback on the right side. And then So in that position, the offensive left side is the defensive right side. So the defense is going to call strong right, strong right, strong right. And whatever that means is if you have a strong side linebacker, a strong side or a weak side linebacker, then they're going to be on those respective strong and weak sides. And the defensive line is going to line up sometimes or a lot of times to the strength. So like the, the, you have two defensive tackles. One will be kind of shading on the center right over the ball. One will be kind of shading on the guard 
to usually towards the strength. So sometimes, you know, depending on over, under, whatever, just anyway, they have, there's the, the defensive line is oriented towards the strength of the side. And then your run gaps are also predicated off of that alignment. So when it, an offense comes out and they have the two tight ends to the left, fullback to the right, defense looks at that again, inverse the directions and says, okay, strong, right, strong, right, strong, right. And they line everyone up and they're their gaps. And then Iowa state takes the fullback motions him over to the side. So now you have three tight ends on one side and then brings all three back over and motions to the other side. So now that flips the strength of the defensive formation. So now everyone has about four seconds to go from what their alignment, their gap, their responsibility and their pre-snap reads. Cause defenses go, Hey, this guard is, is leaning back on his heels a little bit. It means he's probably pulling. It's probably a run or something like that. So you have like four seconds once you, because then now as the tight ends move, the defense goes strong left, strong left, strong left. They have, everybody has to bump. Then they have, like I said, like four seconds to assess body language, pre-snap reads, understanding, going through your film checklist of what's probably coming out of these formations. And you're not able to actually consistently provide a good insightful look when they move these tight ends around. So motions out for wide receivers, a lot of times are just checking what coverage you're going to be in. Like, are you, if you follow a guy all the way across the field, it's probably man coverage. Or if you don't follow one, it's probably zone coverage, something like that. But in the box, when you start switching and trading tight ends, you're flipping and screwing with the defense's strength. So Iowa State moving around these tight ends, it's a really smart way when you have this flexible of an offensive group that you can move any one of these guys can be a receiver and any one of these guys can be a blocker with a down tight end and an off tight end it starts messing with the defensive alignment. So what Iowa State did throughout the game is when they were doing these trades, Texas Tech would consistently miss a line. Like their linebackers would try and sometimes they would try and switch where like the strong side linebacker would go with the tight ends and the weak side linebacker would flip the outside. And other times they would just bump. Meaning if the strong side linebacker was on the defensive right, weak side linebacker was the defensive left. When they traded, they just go farther to their left, you know? So the, the, all the trades that are happening are a thing that is built into this offense because of the flexibility that three really good tight ends gives you. It's not a thing they're going to stop doing. So if you are a wide receiver, get your shit straight. Like understand when you have a, a tight end to your side, get off the ball. Like that's not in the tight ends at all. That is exclusively on the wide receivers. And it's not even necessarily on the wide receiver. Like yes, the wide receiver coaches need to communicate common sense. But if you're a wide receiver, and you are on a side with a tight end, get your ass off the ball. If you aren't a wide receiver and you do not have a tight end to your side, get on the ball. And then the other thing that you can do is uh, as a wide receiver, you have the, the, the flexibility of looking at the line judge and saying, I'm on or I'm off. And he's going to tell you, scoot up. Like he's going to, the, the referees generally, and people, you know, sometimes refs oftentimes get a bad name. Line judges, especially our line judges and back judges are the guys that I would interact with the most, usually not so much a line judge when I'm in the backfield, but like if you ask them, they will tell you what they want. It's like interacting with a generally speaking, interacting with like your community police officer. They're not, they don't want to arrest you just like a line judge doesn't want to throw a penalty. So if you ask them, Hey, am I doing a thing that is against the rules? They're going to say, yep, change the thing that you're doing. All right, great. And then you'll be able to interact with them. So all you have to do is just ask. So yeah, penalties like that, they're gonna, they need to be fixed by the wide receiver group, just being more aware of what's going on because that the tight end moving, that's a unique thing that Iowa state has that not a lot of other teams do because we have three really good tight ends who are both blockers and receivers. Yeah. And that in that situation, it was just Gates who uh, the tight ends all motioned to his side and he just needed to step back because he was on the line of scrimmage and then he never like moved. Once the mm -hmm. tight ends moved. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was just needed to, I looked at the formation and it was immediately once they lined up again, you're like, Oh yeah, I already know how this is going to go. Like you can, you can see it right away, you know? And, uh, what there was something else I was going to say. I don't remember. You talked for a long time and I lost, yeah. I lost what I was, uh, what I was going to you say. Said there are things that need to get cleaned up. One of which was formation penalties. Yeah, that was, I mean, I think that that's, you know, obviously that was one that stuck out to me. Another, uh, the special teams thing. I don't know what the hell happened on that. From the TV copy, it looked like there was maybe something nefarious that happened. Uh, I don't know exactly what the rules are in college football on, on field goal block. Uh, 
but for some reason I thought that you couldn't use your teammates to you push yourself over the line. Yeah. Well that definitely happened. Mm. So that's where I was like, you know, I mean, whatever, you know? And I mean, I, I don't think that it was like that big a deal or anything like that, but it's just that one play where you lose the touchdown, it becomes a 14 point swing, you know? Mm-hmm. And in against Texas tech, that's not that big of a deal, but against Oklahoma state, it could be, or Kansas state, right. it could be. And that is just where you got to continue to clean those things up and keep moving forward. Yeah. And so I, I think this was, this was a much better team win than I would say Oklahoma was because the offense played, I think the offense played better uh, against Texas tech than they played against Oklahoma because Brees Hall played really well and guys like Xavier Hutchinson had a couple big plays, but generally speaking against Oklahoma, there was still something to be desired. Um, the offense played better team football. And I think, so this was a thing that, you know, I had mentioned and you know, this isn't necessarily claiming my own, I like, intellectual property on this idea, but as you're going into that game, and I think this is going to be true with a lot of games that Iowa state has this year, save for maybe Kansas state is the more calm the pace feels, the better it is for Iowa state, the more chaotic the pace feels, the worse it is for Iowa state. And so, especially with Texas tech, that's a team that lives or lived in chaos. They loved when you get this, this stupid fast jet tempo. They're trying to go one snap every 15 seconds. And if it feels like it's hectic and chaotic, that's where they feel comfortable. So the fact the game was so boring meant that Iowa state was doing a really good job at making the game boring. So uh, props to Iowa state's offense pass protection was good. Could still be better. Um, I think this is the first time that I would, you mentioned a game ball to Tom Manning and obviously John Haycock gets one every week just because, um, but I think he has a whole play, bucket of game balls in his office at this game, point. He has a whole room in his house full of game yeah. balls. Yeah. But I think the, this is the first time that I would say I would give Brock Purdy a game ball this year mm-hmm. because uh, so the things that Brock does, the things, the things that Brock did on Saturday that were, extremely smart, extremely well done, um, were in making very smart, boring decisions. And yes, you want him to make these like crazy throws, like the one, I don't know, was it TCU last year where he did like it was a, a bootleg that he just chucked one down the field at Tariq for like 65 yards. Like those are really fun. But how you get your offense to 516 total yards at what is this per play at, uh, at 9.4 per completion and average yards per play, uh, six yards a play is by not doing dumb stuff. So like there was an example that, uh, it was a third and four. I think it was going towards the suit up or excuse me, going towards the, the, the Jacobson. And as he's going to, he's booting out to the right side. He could see the first down sticks. He takes the ball out. It was towards Sukup. Sorry. He takes the ball out. Like he's going to throw it to, I think Brees Hall is like sneaking up the sideline and then just tucks it back down and runs for five yards, gets the first down. They end up scoring a touchdown two plays later. And Brock in the past would have taken that time to try and flick that ball over the corner and Brees kind of looked like he was open, but it's also a really hard throw to kind of float somewhat float something in an unpracticed look. And maybe he catches it, maybe he doesn't. If he doesn't catch, you kick the field goal, maybe, or it's kind of outside of field goal range and you have to decide if you're going to go for it or punt. But if you make the smart decision and just tuck the ball and run, get the first down, you live to play another down and let your guys make plays. So there was, that was one really smart play. Another really smart play, I think, was um, it was a, a, one of the drag routes or a bunch of different drag routes they had. Like There was pressure in his face, but he had to hold it and hold it and hold it until Xavier Hutchinson could clear and he just kept drifting and drifting and drifting, just switched his arm angle, did a, an Aaron Rodgers throw it from sidearm and got it to Xavier Hutchinson for like seven or eight yards on a first down. That's not, that stuff doesn't show up in your highlight reel, but Brock feeling pressure, knowing what the route is, knowing where it's going to come open and how, how long it has to be to get there and just drifting and giving a little bit of space and time to get it there. I think Brock played a really solid game. I mean, he threw for 302 yards, but you wouldn't have known that by just watching the game. You wouldn't have said, I do got a lot of passing yards just by watching because nothing was really that sexy that he did himself. It was just getting it to his guys and they did the fun stuff. 
Yeah, and it was by far his highest graded passing performance of the season, too. I'll tell you from uh, pro football focus. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a game where it's like most everybody played well, mm-hmm. you know. You don't sit there and think like anybody – nobody stuck out as like really playing bad. Mm-hmm. And that was – I mean, I think that's probably the first time this season that there's been something like that. But uh, I did pull – I, mean, I, I asked you before the show, you wanted to do this on the, on the podcast. I pulled the top five highest graded players on offense and defense for Iowa State so far this season. You're not on Twitter. Tweeted them out. So you haven't seen these. You don't know anything about it. Uh, but I'm going to have you uh, do your so guess. So far this season your or best just on Saturday? Through the, through the first four games. Whew. Let's start okay. with the defense. Uh, Jaquan Bailey. Uh, Jaquan is number two, 73.5. This is great. Mm, Greg Eisworth. Nope. Mike Rose. Nope. Wow. Okay. Orion Vance. Nope. Really? Anthony Johnson. Yep. He's number three. 72.2. Okay. Hmm. Who else would be in there then? Any Wazrike? Nope. Who is, who is this person then? Well, there's, you, you got so, three I, I left. Mean, I could just keep going. It'd be Lawrence White, Jake Hummel. You're, you're still wrong. Aishim Young. Aishim Young is number five. Yeah. Wow. At 70.2. Aishim Young's one of the top safeties in the country at stopping the run. And clearly on that <laughs> yeah. fourth down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That was one. Like, it, it just make, it makes you like, like when, when a dude hits a, like a mean crossover on a basketball court and all, you see the crowd just go like, oh, that was the reaction to see Aishim Young on a, on a fourth down stop, just sprinting through. Okay. So if it's, you need number one and number four still, I, uh, Isaiah Levin. Nope. You're getting closer. Josh Bailey. No, actually Josh Bailey's sixth in the country in run stop percentage. Are we talking Peterson then? Uh, no, Zach Peterson's not graded very well so far this season. I don't You've said like every defensive lineman besides this one. Will McDonald? Yeah, he's number one. Will McDonald, number one. 76.2. Not even starting. His, his pass rush grade is really, really high. He's the uh, Tyrus McGee of the Iowa State defense. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's like when you put him in, you know that something's going to happen. Yes, something crazy is going to happen. I, didn't yeah. know that, I, I was just going through starters, but also how is Mike Rose not that high up there? Mike Rose is number six. In mm. fairness, I think Jake Hummel's seven, so they're right there. Solid. Uh, but yeah, do you want do you want me to just tell you number four? Sure. Is that Tavon Kyle then? It is. Cool. That's I'll good. tell you. I'll tell you too. Anthony Johnson is the highest graded cornerback in the Big Twelve. That's not uh, surprising. It. He's played like a hundred. I want to say a hundred forty-three pass like like coverage situations. I mean, mm-hmm. pass passing snaps. Uh, he's been targeted 13 times for six receptions. Mm-hmm. Like the passer rating against him is actually somewhat high because he gave up one touchdown and like the yards per catch is pretty high. I think he probably had like one play where he, I can't even mm-hmm. remember, but I think he had maybe one play where he got beat and gave up a touchdown. And, but it's just like, they never throw at him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, his, like his, I, I, I think that it was like completion per snaps is like 23 or something like that. I mean, you just, they don't, they're, they'll go full games without throwing at him, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, so, and he's the thing that I really like about Anthony Johnson is he run fits really well. It's that's what I was just going to say. He's one of the highest run stop corners in the country too. Yeah. He doesn't do, he's one of those guys that is, um, and I think this is just true about the Iowa State team in general. Uh, as as the season's going to go on, there's going to be more kind of, of of this type. But there's really no one in the like really sexy highlights department. You know, outside like, of maybe um, Breeze. Outside of David Breeze. Well, even the way, but the way Breeze does it isn't necessarily. It's not David Montgomery. You know, yeah. David Montgomery is going to like stand there and juke and like stiff arm someone to the ground and you know, then headbutt somebody like it, it, that's the kind of, it's exciting to watch him move. Brees is not that Brees is like, how did he end up with nine yards there? It's, you just get, it's, it's a subtle 
it's manipulation of linebackers, manipulation of safeties. It's giving someone a, a short side to tackle. It's giving someone a shoulder instead of a, a hip. Like it's just un, it's un, in, it's not uninspiring. It's just not exciting stuff that he does to make himself really good. Um, and defensively, it's there's Will McDonald's really the only guy that you could put in that camp. I would imagine that is like a wow player because the best players on higher state's defense are you know by rankings would be other than Will your. Bailey, Anthony Johnson, Greg Eisworth, and those guys are just technicians. It's just, I'm going to do my job really, really well. If a run comes to me, like as you watch Sir Roger Thompson, he would break a run and it looked like there was space. Then all of a sudden there's four Iowa state dudes that just condense the field. And usually if it's to his side, Anthony Johnson is very clearly pushing in on one side to keep the corner tight. And then like Mike Rose is going to fill underneath and Jake Hummel is going to be tracking from behind. And all of a sudden there's three guys to make the tackle. Even if one misses, someone else is going to clean it up. Like it's Anthony, I think Anthony Johnson run fits really well. It's just a, it's just solid fundamental defense. And the best defenses are going to get turnovers on top of that. But the defenses that are consistently good aren't – it's not sexy. It's not yeah. crazy, you know, insane hits and all that kind of stuff. That's fun to watch. But Although they've got some guys who can really hit people right now. True. Yes, they do. But, like, it's not – that's not the stuff when you watch and say this defense is really good. You know, Oklahoma hits some guys pretty well. Like, Bradley Hiles, he's going to bring full thunder to the party. He really likes to hit people for some reason, he but he's just really stupid about when he wants to do it. <laughs> right. And so it's not about hitting someone hard. It's about doing the things the right way. Right. And Iowa State's defense has done it consistently now, like fundamentally buying into the fact that like, we are the defense. I am not the defense, you know? So that's a, that's a thing that's been kind of fun to, fun to see. And then again, for the unsexiness of the offense too, which we'll get to in a second. I think of the guys that are making wild plays or would make wild plays, I think Xavier Hutchinson is really the only one that falls into the camp of when you watch him move, he looks explosively exciting. Mm-hmm. Whereas Brees Hall is explosive. He just doesn't look explosive because he's so smooth and so calculated with how he moves. You just don't realize that he's gotten, he's at a hundred yards through the first quarter and a half because he's getting them in 12 yard chunks. It's not in one fifty yard run. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's very similar with Kene. Where at this point, I'm like, every time Kinney touches a football, well, he might score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, it, Any open space. Right. It doesn't matter where he gets it. It's like if he gets past the first line of defenders, you're like, oh, boy, here mm-hmm. he goes. And, uh, but I think the thing about Iowa State's defense that's just so impressive, especially against watch, like watching them stop the run that's maybe different from what they did in previous seasons, is they are so much better at forcing running backs to run sideways, especially mm-hmm. early on early on in a, in a running attempt. Like, I mean, I know Jay would always talk about how easy, not easy, but how quickly teams could get to that edge right off of the tackle mm-hmm. sometimes against that three man front. And you just can't do that anymore, you know? Right. And, and just Iowa state forces people to stretch. And I don't know how many times Sir Roger Thompson did that on Saturday where the run would look like it was maybe going to go for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 yards. And it would end up with at two because he had to run sideways forever. And then you get Mike Rose or Jake Hummel or whoever else is there to tackle him. Well, and that's where you credit guys. Like that's where you credit the secondary. I mean, you talk about Aishim Young being so good against the run. Uh, Aishim Young and Greg Eisworth are kind of the parallel positions on either side of the ball, depending on the strength. And then Tavon Kyle and Anthony Johnson are the corners on either side. So who's responsible for edge running is, a corner sets the boundary of this is as far as we're going to allow you to run sideways. And so he's, his job is to essentially form a wall. Not don't you don't let the sideline be the width of the field. If you're, if your corner's doing his run fit job, the, the edge of the field where the running back can actually go is we call it the numbers. And if between the numbers and that new wall, because the corner's there and wherever the, the pile of linemen is in there, what's the space in between there's called the alley and the outside linebackers are in charge of like the inner part of that towards the quarterback. The safeties are in charge of like the outer part of that, which is, you know, more towards the secondary. So it's not just one guy that's done a better job. It's in order to have good edge rush defense, you have to have a corner that sets a hard edge that doesn't allow the running back to keep floating. And then you have safeties and linebackers that fill hard so that they can't advance down the field. And then they have to start going sideways because if I can't go to, I can't go towards the sideline 
because there's a corner there and I can't run up the field because Aishim Young is staring me right in the eyes and I can't really cut in because Jake Hummel is going to be failing from the inside. Then you have three guys is really, there's nowhere to go. So at that point you do have to start dancing and just be like, all right, I got two, put my head down and try and make two into four. And you can't, you're not going to get 10. You're not going to get 12. It's just, I'll get as many as I can and get down because Iowa State fills. So credit Eisworth, Young, and then the corners for being really good at setting that exterior edge that it's not a wider space, you know? Because once you get, the issue that Iowa State would have in the past is if they were able to get a defensive end reached and then send a tight end and a line, or in, up to the linebacker, if the corner wasn't doing a good job of setting an edge and they could use the full sideline, then we have an edge reached because the lineman blocked the lineman. You have a linebacker that's blocked by a tight end or at least covered where it gives the running back a little bit of space. The corner is out of the picture because he wasn't doing a good job. So between like the hash and the sideline is just one safety. As good as Greg Eisworth is, that's way too much space for one dude to cover. And all of a sudden running backs can find space. But when your corners are setting hard edges, your safeties are able to fill up, there's nowhere to go. So the defense generally speaking is playing good sound fundamental defense. And I think it's funny because other teams in the conference are doing the same are similar things. Like Kansas state is just playing really good defense. TCU now is playing really good defense and the big 12 is now a pretty decent defensive conference. When you look at the top of the big 12, I don't know about Oklahoma state. I, I don't know if they've played anyone that you can actually like say they've been challenged, but then you Oh yeah, no, they have, they played Kansas. Uh, uh, you kept a straight face most of the time after you said that. It's mostly a straight face. What? They played Tulsa. Okay. Um, anyway, and then you look at the SEC, and LSU has given up 600 yards twice. Alabama and Ole Miss each yeah, gave bro, up those, those SEC defenses yards. are built different. They're built different. Yeah. It's just great different. offense. It's great <laughs> offense. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Ole Miss and Alabama, they had, they had almost 1,400 yards of total offense between the two of them. Did you, offense, yeah. Dude, did you see – oh, my gosh. I got a statistic for you, man. I cannot – I can't imagine you've seen this. So someone tweeted this out uh, Saturday night after the, after the, the Alabama-Ole Miss game. All right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Ole Miss's defense prevented 41 total yards of offense tonight. As in, on 11 drives, they allowed nine touchdowns, forced a punt at the 40, and a fumble at the one. If Alabama had gained every yard possible, they would have gained 764 yards, but instead they gained only 723. <laughs> oh, my God. This, the best statistic of all time is when you're, you're not measuring from the bottom. You're not measuring of how many yards did you allow. It's how much did you potentially even stop? What did you actually do? <laughs> that is... Oh my God, that's bad. That's bad. There, uh, here, uh, he says, this is from Roger Sherman on Twitter. Roger's really funny for people who uh, are on Twitter. Uh, he says, LOL, here's one I didn't think was possible. Alabama ran 43 plays on first down. On those plays, they were more likely to pick up another first down or score a touchdown. This happened 22 times than they were to have any play which brought up second down 21 times. <laughs> SEC defenses, bro. Built SEC different, defenses. bro. They're built different. Those, hey, no, no, man. It's just great offense, bro. It's just great offense, man. Like, these SEC offenses are just at a different level, you know? Like, it's just – you can't keep up with them. No, that's, that's, that's not how this works. I, I was reading works. a thing from uh, – that was on Pro Football Focus this morning. It was a – and it was talking about pass percentage and like how uh, they were, they're like, they basically were saying like people that have been saying for all this time that big 12 defenses are bad, apparently are going to have to eat their words because it's like, they're like, maybe there's reality is that the sec has been running like dark ages times defense or offenses. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what we've been yeah. saying since like 2010. I, that that's how Alabama gives was given up you know eleven points or points per game in two thousand nine when you know Mizzou and Oklahoma are scoring fifty it's 
because the offenses are horrible. Like that's, it's not really anything crazy. And then all of a sudden LSU changes the way they play offense and everybody in the, in the, they're like, man, this, this, this LSU offense, like this, my best offense in history. It's like, no, like the SEC just literally never defended a team like this before. And like, now they're, now they're trying to figure out how do you stop a pass? <laughs> I'm going to play, yeah. play cover two, right? Two man under. That's it. Just put two man under. I'm going to play two man under. Now we're going to bring a, bring a blitz cover zero. That's the way you stop the, that's the way you stop the pass. Like for the, it's literally for the first time in conference history, the, SEC is averaging more than 50% pass percentage. So they're throwing the ball 50% of the time or more than 50% of the time for the first time in conference history. It's happened every year in the big 12 since uh, 2009, I think. This is great. It makes yeah. my heart warm. See, and that's but, the thing too. It, it makes you mad. Cause it's like, how many times, did, I mean, how many times did Oklahoma play some of those SEC teams and throw the ball all around, you mm-hmm. know? I mean that year with uh, with Baker and um, and played Georgia. Yeah, when they played Georgia, like it it wasn't like they had any trouble scoring. I mean, it's not a thing about the defenses are bad. It's like no, the offenses are good. Like they're they're probably just equal. Mm-hmm. Like and no one has any idea how to stop this stuff, you know. And that's what made it so crazy. Like what Iowa State was able to do for those. I mean, in 2017, you know, how good they were. And that's what I was going to say, just in, you know, my final thing about the Iowa State defense. You can really see now after four years of them running this defense, developing to this defense and recruiting to this defense, like how good it can be, you Mm -hmm. know. And uh, by no means is it perfect or anything like that, but it's just like you can see like where they're recruiting people to play these positions now. And, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's becoming clear and it's making a difference. And you have guys like Aishim Young. You have guys like Anthony Johnson. You have guys uh, like Mike Rose. You have guys with a a penetrating nose guard that's going to force everything laterally. You have speed that's going to close in on it. You have good tacklers everywhere. Yeah, they have – they now have what they want. And because everyone is trying to emulate it, this is the kind of the cool thing at Iowa State and John Haycock are kind of the the tip of the spear here where – this three down look is becoming more common because you talk about, you mentioned in that kind of that Jeff Woody esque rambling rant on something uh, that no one has any idea how to stop these offenses. If there is anything, Iowa state's model, which is sort of Clemson does a similar thing. They just tweak it slightly differently. I would say Iowa state, the Clemson, the Baylor model from last year, because it's the same defense. This is about the, the first model that's kind of presented a challenge to these offenses that are primarily pass focused when you do it correctly, because offenses still want to run, but when you can't run and you start tightening up passing windows, because you start forcing them longer down in distant situations and you get pass rushers there, you have the capacity to stop these offenses. So yeah, Haycock and, and Brent Venables, those guys are, they're, they're tip of the spear. They are the, the leading kind of change agents for what defenses are probably going to be played in the next five years or so as this is kind of the trend until someone finds out a new way to do something. So Iowa state trendsetters. How long until we hear about Nick Saban trying to come up to learn from John Haycock? Well, Iowa state are uh, like before, or, or, or are we Clemson guys? We all, all out Clemson guys. I think so. I mean, last year before the season, Iowa state went out and just, and the Iowa state coaching staff, didn't they do like a week in Clemson, like in Clemson, yeah. just meeting with the Clemson staff. Yeah. Like Brent to- Venables and those guys came here. Yeah, and like how to better kind of come yeah. up with this defense to to beat stuff down. So yeah, I mean Dabo Swinney seems like a nicer person than Nick Saban. So if we're talking about the college football's elite, I'm Team Clemson. And it's all relative, honestly. I don't know that Dabo seems like the nicest guy either, but that's just my personal opinion. He said. <laughs> interesting human being uh i'll just leave it at that all right let's go to the offense really quick um okay all right i got him pulled up take your guess first guess breeze hall yeah breeze is number one 77.6 which okay first things first we've talked about david versus breeze someone reminded me david's pro football focus grade his sophomore year was 92 he's all right yeah, yeah, David was yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, all right, next one. Um, Colin Newell. Colin Newell is number five, 68.2. Okay. 
Charlie? Charlie is number two, 72.5. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with then. You need I, number three like and number four. there's a dark horse somewhere. Is Chase Allen? Chase Allen's number four, 69.6. Okay. Nice. Is there, and there is a dark horse in here. There is, number three. One that I am pretty confident you're not going to guess. Landon Akers. No. Landon Akers probably didn't play enough snaps. He probably was up there, but I, I kind of had it. A, you needed to play a certain number of snaps. Uh, Sean Foster? Sean Foster was pretty high up there too, but it's not him. Schweiger? It is Derek Schweiger, 70.2. Derek Schweiger is the, uh, had the highest pass block efficiency in the Big 12. On 143 dropbacks, he has allowed one quarterback pressure. That boy. It's good. Despite switching positions after the first week as well. You know what's kind of cool too? The piece that your offense is designed around is Brees Hall. Mm -hmm. The accent piece is the guy that potentially has some of the highest upside at Brock Purdy. And just now, I would say you said uh, his Brock's pro football focus grade was the highest this week than it has really at any other point. Uh, he's finally just starting to get a good enough comfort level with his receivers, with the offense, where the pieces are going to be. Brock is going to continue to get better throughout this season. And so Brock Purdy, who set a ton of school records last year, isn't even in your top five as far as executions considered. However, who's not in there? What position group is not is, is wholly unrepresented in that top five? Wide receivers. Exactly. So once the wide receivers start to kind of get themselves where they need to, I bet Xavier Hutchinson is probably the highest ranked of the wide receivers from a grading standpoint. Yeah. Um, and he's going to consistently get better. I think if we're giving out offensive game balls, my first one goes to uh, Brees always gets one. He, he's start, he's going to fill up his own closet full, but Brock, I think is the first one I give him this year. And also Xavier Hutchinson. Now um, he, he started to become like, you need to know as a wide receiver, where does the quarterback want you? Where do you need to be for him to be comfortable? Because he's the one that's got to get you the ball. And Xavier is starting to understand with Brock where he wants to be, where, where Brock wants him to be. And so I think he was targeted, I don't know how many times, uh, RSA receiving. Xavier was targeted 10 times, caught nine passes for 77 yards. Like most, I would, I would venture that a lot of those nine receptions were getting first downs. I don't know how many of those nine actually were converted first downs, but a lot of them were where Charlie is normally the guy you know, your, your Clay Thompson metaphor, it, it, it holds again with Charlie being in there, Chase Allen had four receptions and all of those receptions were because Chase was commanding most of the interior attention. But then Xavier is also capitalizing on the fact that everyone's wondering where 88 is now. Number eight is drawing less coverage because they're looking for 88. And then if you're having to now cover down on Xavier Hutchinson, he's starting to become a threat. Then Chase Allen starts to become open because he's one-on-one -on -one with uh, an inside linebacker. And when, you, when you're six six and can move around like Chase can, even though he a terrible run after catch, but when you can get yourself in position and go up and get the ball like Chase can, you can start getting these consistent 16, 18, 25 yard chunks because you're in this, they have to cover everyone else. So the Iowa State offense, it's starting to click. It's not clicked completely yet. I think Brees and the offensive line have come together. I mean, he's run for 100 yards every game this year. So obviously he's got something working on it, but it is getting the rest of the group, it's starting to click. Having Brock feel comfortable throwing to more than just Charlie means that the offense is going to consistently get better. Now, that does not mean that they're going to consistently repeat this game every single week. This is the first time that I think as a team, you know, give them a nine out of 10. They still had some dumb stuff happen. They could have made this game better, but this is an eight and a half, nine out of 10 where there's improvements to be made, but it's not like it was so awe inspiring. And, you know, you have to, you're going to, you have to rest after how great you performed and how hard it was to practice and stuff like that. Like this is, it seems like this is a thing that is a norm to be held that you're going to every once in a while have a bad one, but uh, the, the offense is starting to click. 
For sure. All right, very quickly, we got to give a quick shout out to Authentic Brand. Authentic Brand is more than just your source for official Cyclone gear with an amazing team of designers. Authentic Brand can custom manufacture polo shirts, jackets, caps, bags, and beyond for your for your team or small business. Check them out online at authentic-brand.com. Look authentic, feel authentic, be authentic. Couple quick shout outs and then uh and then we will uh we'll close the podcast. We'll talk a lot about Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Of course, next Monday here on Football and Random Things. Uh Man, we need to give a shout for a quick recovery to your boy, Colegio Semele. Yeah, that's uh, tough. It does not sound very good for him after what, what had been kind of a bounce-back year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid came out and said in his press conference yesterday that he'd torn tendons in both of his knees on a non-contact play. So, you know, hopefully uh, KO can get back and get back to uh, back to his form that he was showing this season. He was playing at a really high level. Yeah, apparently. So a friend of mine has kind of closer with him than I am. And apparently he's doing okay. Like mentally is seems like he's doing okay, but still that's tough. Yeah. I honestly have no idea of how it even happened on the play that it happened because it was, uh, it, he was just running. It was a really weird deal, but yeah, shout out to KO. Hopefully he can, uh, he can feel better soon and get back out on the football field. But the other one, this isn't about a basketball podcast, but I think we'd be remiss if we did not mention the first cyclone to ever win an NBA championship ring late last night when Taylor Horton Tucker became the first cyclone to be an NBA champion uh, and the first player born in the two thousands to win the NBA finals. Congratulations, THT. Just like we all thought Taylor Horton Tucker before Monte, before Niang, before Fred, before Pfizer, Tinsley, for any of those guys. Yeah. Hornacek, Tinsley, or THT is going to be the guy to do it, but still cool. Managed to do it. Man, just a champion two years in a row. 2019 Big 12, uh, Big 12 men's basketball tournament champion. Now he's the now he's an NBA champion. He, and you get to learn from uh, a guy. What's it? How do you pronounce it? Lebron? Lebron? Lebron James? Seems like he's an okay. Le- Lebron? Lebron James? He's got a good future. Got a good Lebron future. James? Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, the, I just love that uh, the the first person to touch to touch the trophy last night after the game ended. Uh, J.R. Smith, who played a grand total of zero minutes in the NBA Finals. <laughs> shirt already gone. Yeah, 15 seconds left in the game. J.R. Smith is already shirtless. It was, uh, what, a, what a ride. But all right, Jeff, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week, man. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all there is to it. I don't know if you were going to say anything. All right, see ya. Peace, everybody. <laughs>